into sports. 20 yards out, Ursa shoot, don't shoot! Oh, oh what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do we get a slap? Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Shame that will care. You've let all the fans down. Can we not lock it? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Yeah, I answer questions on anything: uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you, except for those two, have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, this And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Now you're welcome along to Team 33 and a Happy New Year to everyone out there listening. It's been a bit of a crazy week in the world and it's safe to say that just because the clock ended on 2020, it didn't mean things were going to slow down at all. Pretty much a coup happening in America over the week, but we're not talking about that tonight. We're talking about something a little bit more peaceful. Russia. We're turning to the East tonight. We're talking about Russian football. Russia actually has one of the most interesting football histories out there when it comes to football in any nation. That's where we're going tonight. That's what we're going to get our teeth into. And to do so, I'm joined on the line by Alan Moore, a sports journalist based in Moscow, host of Capital Sports and international director of Missy's. Alan, thanks for joining me and Happy New Year. You're very welcome, Enda. And I say that it's a happy Christmas here from Russia because this is the uh, the women's Christmas in Ireland and it's actually the old Russian Christmas here. So happy Christmas. Happy Christmas and I suppose Happy New Year as well. Uh, before, still works, still works, yeah. Before we get stuck into the nitty gritty of Russian football, because there's an abundance of things to talk about. How does an Irishman find himself living in Russia? Uh, I'd love to say it was for good reasons or for love or something like that. It was actually just, uh, I was based in Croatia, um, had a chance to come up here and work on a, on a project um, with our clients here. We had an affiliate here, so I, I did. I, I, I moved up. Um, had a year down in Malta with the football club in Malta with uh, Floriana. And then came back to Moscow to finish off what we're doing with the World Cup project because that was part of what I think the World Cup tender bit. So we were put, helping with some of the documents uh, because we'd worked on a, a European championship bid in Croatia plus a World Handball Championship and so on. So our company were pretty good with that. So I ended up back up here and that was really 2010, obviously, when the World Cup was awarded. Uh, I didn't want to stay here for that amount of time, but kind of work got in the way and life got in the way so I, I stayed and um, 10 years later I'm here I plan to leave right after the World Cup 2018 and uh, now I find myself you know working almost full time as a sports journalist and then working with the university as director of the international office so you're right international director um, and I'm kind of like general dog's body but it's fun it is fun here so that's that's how I ended up it's, it's not it's not anything romantic not anything brilliant it's kind of an Irishman abroad uh, goes to Russia, gets stuck into work, and suddenly uh, Russia won't let him go. 
Yeah, sure. Look, it's uh, it's one of the misconceptions that if you go to Russia, you're never coming back. But the one, the <laughs> world, no, let's not go that far just yet. Like, <laughs> the one I'm going to say next. <laughs> the the World Cup was an interesting one because it it really opened up the world to Russia in the modern sense because since the Cold War that really hasn't happened and still people still question whether quite a lot of it might have been propaganda and whatever but I think a lot of people were absolutely blown away by just how modern the cities were and how how beautiful Russia really is. What is it like to go to a football match in Russia? Uh, you know, it, 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 this sounds terrible from my side and you are right because a, a, a mutual friend of ours, John Duggan, was over here covering for, for off the ball for New Sock and today as well and covered it brilliantly and of course with uh, Raf Leal who you know, was part of the Team 33 team um, you guys were doing brilliant build-up coverage to the World Cup I know I was on with yourselves as well and I, I had to say like kind of a slap in my hand that I turned around and said that Russia would be awful it was the worst team Russia had had I stand by that that it was Russia awful but they really the they got very, very lucky uh, in, in in the group and also in beating Spain because Spain, of course, we know were just, you know, sacking their manager a couple of days. Before the it, it was, everything went right for Russia. It was almost if Putin was like, you know, how am I going to make that good? It just, the, the, the cars fell right for them, but they were beaten by, obviously, a better team. I was covered that match down in Sochi. Um, the, the World Cup going to the World Cup was was well. Like I was commentating on all the games in Lushniki and then in Sochi as well. That was unbelievably good. It was it, something out of this world. And I've been to a World Cup previously in Germany um, in 2006. But uh, I think that going to a regular game here, um, I've been to so many games. There's a time end of when I went to, I think in a, in a three-month period, I went to 60 football matches. Um uh, from because of my four time work was in sports, so mm-hmm. that went from Premier League matches, first division, second tier, and youth games and women's games as well. Um, I was very lucky that with Capital, uh, we were working with Lokomotiv Moscow for two and a half seasons. Uh, I worked with them before and then came back, and we were doing other English um, broadcasting and English shows in the stadium. We joined them 2017 when they went on to win the. The, the Premier League, you know, they've sort of regained the title and that was brilliant. So games can be, it's no different to any other country. It's no different to going to, you know, Dundalk fans or going to Oriel Park. I'm so many times going to Talk or gone to Daily Mint. Always enjoy going to Talk. So there's no difference in, in, in the kind of the emotions, the, the kind of the, the buzz. The only thing that really gets you here is the cold because by <laughs> Christ, it's, listen, and it's a fact. I've done the studies on this and a report on it. As soon as the temperature drops below plus 15, you, you lose between a third and half of fans going to stadium. Um, a lot of the stadium, like Lokomotiv had for a long time, have a terrific stadium. Spartak Stadium is nice, but it's, it, it's sort of built on sand almost in every sense. And the, the pitch cuts up. But some of the stadium, like the Zenit uh, Arena or Gazprom Arena, they're wonderful. Um, and and honestly, there's no better place to be uh, in Russia than, than going to a football match, except a hockey match. Hockey matches are awesome. They're 10 times better than football. And I never get the, the real duty. I did a couple of years ago to go cover matches in, in, the, in the Continental Hockey League. 
and it's amazing. But uh, usually the, the clever people get that. And then the sort of the, the dregs of sports journalism go to cover football. That's me. Well, that's it. I, I, I should hope that Cisco Moscow have a better stadium than Oriel Park. I, 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 Dundalk are a great side, but by God, they need a new stadium. Well, essentially, what we're going to do over the next half hour or so is we're going to talk about Russian football, where it came from, and also do a little bit of a bio on the clubs. You're actually going to show me up a little bit on my pronunciations of the team. It is Cisco Moscow as opposed to CSKA. Am I, am I right in that? You're bang on. You're bang on. And then, CSKA, and you're right, Cisco. So, yes, yeah. So I, I and I would have said locomotive as opposed to locomotive. So we'll, we'll get around the the pronunciations. We'll get into the bio. But football in Russia comes really from a source closer from home. It's originated from really British and Scottish influence as such. Yeah, it really has. There's quite a few. Uh, uh, Irish uh, like who were here as well it, it, because it came a lot from the early 20th century uh, there wasn't um, like we, like we mentioned in a moment where there was actually GAA here before uh, association football football came in through the English industrialists British shall we say industrialists I won't be I won't be uh, rude on that that they, they came in to set up their mills say for example up in St. Petersburg especially which was the capital then and they came in they set up uh, their industries outside of Moscow, one of the first cantilevers, uh, no, the, the stadiums built outside of Moscow, not Dolgoprudny, I'll just remember in a moment, one of the first stadiums built. And when you go out to it, it's 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 a proper old English ground that we would have seen kind of in the kind of path they news and so on. So it came from that, from the English influence, very much stuck in that um, from the real building of it. And as you know, as you mentioned to me before we came on air, the, the, the first chair of the Russian Football Union was uh, Scott. And that it, it came from these British industrialists, you guys who came in preaching it, the same way as it would have been in Italy or in Argentina or in Spain. So they did spread the word and uh, then it took place. There, there was quite a bit of... Um, um, I would say that the way that they operated then was very unlike the kind of the British... Like British centric or English centric, Anglo centric view of the game right now. Where it's like, oh, we gave it to the world. These guys were were genuine proselytizers. Like if we think of the kind of the Baptist ministers going out and preaching, you know, kind of in Ireland or in the jungles or whatever it may be, that they go, this is our game. They kind of introduced it as kind of a pastime, but they. The, of course, it started with a few English fellas having to kick about, a few Scottish fellas, a few Irish lads having a, a knock around the ball. But they very, very quickly brought the the, the, the locals in. Uh, it wasn't like kind of cricket in the Raj, where it was very much us and we keep the rest of them out. It, it, they really were very inclusive. And uh, from all the studies and the discussions I've had with excellent football historians here, um, sports historians here in Russia, I would parallel it with... Uh, GAA in Europe in the last, especially the last 10 years, especially where uh, the growth of Gaelic games, especially Gaelic football in places in Europe like Galicia, um, and I'm saying that wrong, it's Galicia, Galicia and France, Britain and so on, would be kind of like what happened here in Russia. Um, and it grew from there. A lot of the clubs were that we know now were formed a lot later than that because there was uh, a little issue of a year of two revolutions mm -hmm. and everything that happened after that, where uh, all these kind of um, Orwellian things of like these things that were brought in by industrialists were suddenly bad and pushed aside. 
but then you have to entertain the people when there's no work to do and people are flooding into the cap to, to the big cities because the farms have been destroyed so they need to get, get some work and they need entertainment football filled that void yeah and Ar- Arthur McPherson is the guy from Scotland who formed the union in 1912 he had a, an interesting future ahead of him in, over the next five or six years after that happened but before we get into that what's the link of Hurling GA in, in Russia where did that come from and um, there was, as, as we can sort of understand, there's been very long links between Ireland, thanks to us being part of the British Empire, uh, links with the Russian uh, Empire as well, and all the way through. So, for example, you'd have uh, composers like John Field who came over here. Uh, he's revered here in Ireland. He's outside of classical music circles and people who are really aficionados of classical music kind of not known, but he was a pianist, he was a composer, and here he is honoured and absolutely beloved. So uh, there's always a kind of Irish traditions coming out, Irish music, Irish dance. Um, Irish dance is huge here. I mean, there's, you know, it's kind of like a coffee shop. There's an Irish dancing school on every corner kind of thing, um, or every street. But GAA was here for quite a bit of time because there were Irish... um, uh, I, can't, no, I, I hate saying navvies, but Irish kind of like labourers who were who were brought here, Irish, Irish specialists. So they brought that out here as well. Uh, it meshed, hurling especially meshed with the Russian game of lopta, which is, um, lopta is like a stick and ball. So it's kind of baseball. So hurling kind of fit into that. And also when uh, ice hockey uh, began to grow in Canada, we know that it came from the Irish troops there, it, it also blended in here with uh, the traditional sport here called bandy, which is hockey on ice, uh, field hockey on ice. So it kind of, it, it's, it's got a long link here and it has a link all the way out to Ulyanovsk in the, well, I'm sitting in Moscow, east of Moscow, mm-hmm. around uh, less than a thousand kilometers east, where there were links with the Frenches of Galway that there was always exchanges of ideas all the way through and up until the revolution uh, and the end of 2000, or 19, 2000, 1917 when the, the Kindiakov family lost their lands there because they were married um, into, or vice versa as well, the French family in Galway. So there's this constant stream of Irish literary people, Irish culture people and Irish sporting people from the early part of the 20th century coming into Russia and you're know, introducing it. So in uh, Ulianos, it's very old, old records uh, and basically recorded in some diaries where they had a game of the stick and ball game from Ireland, which right. we take to be as hurling. And they played it on ice. Um, and of course, you know, it, because it was cold and there was ice. So they played it on ice and in snow and they used pieces of coal instead of a slitter to use a piece of coal to be able to see it. Um and hurling, of course, would be very like, well, at that time, would more like shinty. You know, yeah. you wouldn't be picking the ball up and so on. So it, was, it would kind of have that parallel. So GAA would be would have been in here in Russia from at least the, the start of the 20th century and possibly before the turn of it as well uh, because of the this Kindiakov and French family uh, marriage. Fascinating. Uh, I, the Irish somehow always seem to turn up in the parts least expected. The, <laughs> the nineteen seventeen revolution, then, that has a massive effect on everything in Russia, including football. And um, football considered bourgeois, upper class, middle class at this point. And Arthur McPherson, his future 
didn't really last that long as, as head of the, the Russian Football Association, arrested in 1917 after the revolution and thrown in jail. He, he had an unfortunate um, period for himself. Yeah, I mean, because we, we, we have to remember that there were two revolutions in, um, in Russia at that time. There was the February, the 1970, the first one revolution led by Kerensky. And the second one, of course, led by Lenin and backed by the Germans in uh, October, well, November. They, they call it October Revolution was, because of the calendar change, it was actually November. November 7th is the day they recognize it. Um, and the odd thing, there's a link to GAA there as well, because this city I mentioned, Ulyanovsk, which now has a GAA club, by the way, since last year, um, there is a, um, both Kerensky and Lenin, Vladimir Ulyanov come from Ulyanovsk and their fathers worked together and there was a falling out between the families and um, when Kerensky led the revolution of course Lenin heard about it and said I'm not going to let that like SOB get the better of my family and came back and had his own revolution there's a kind of balance but a lot of the English a lot of the Germans because remember there's a huge huge uh, native ethnic German um, population here they sort of came to a bit of prominence at that period, kind of pushed the English aside, but then it all flipped around. So there was a lot of these English guys who had mills, especially because they were brought in to industrialize the country. Um, because, of course, the, the Russian royal family, the Romanovs, were linked to the Germans uh, in England, the, the English royal family, of course, who were Germans, but they were linked to them. So yeah. there was this exchange of, of ideas and knowledge. Um, and it's unfortunate that there was a lot of knowledge and a lot of, honestly, a lot of goodwill lost as well at that period by forcing these people who were, again, bringing football in for football's sake. Even though it was seen as bourgeoisie, it was bourgeoisie because it was backed and supported and financed by the bourgeoisie. The same as it was in England at the time where it was a working man's game, but paid for by the mill owners. So mm -hmm. it was an unfortunate thing. And I, Russian football, even though it's, blossomed in the, the 1920s, for example, um, in terms of coming back to itself, it still lost a lot of um, potential in, in, by, by basically cutting the heads off people who actually you know, knew what they were doing. Yeah, and the fact that the football... Uh, association goes hand in hand sort of in the timeline of the change of power and change of system in Russia in such a dramatic sense that it makes it incredibly interesting. So the anti-bourgeoisie sentiment uh, from the Soviets changed a little bit in the 1920s and they're a little bit looser in what they allow people to do. And that's where we see the birth of some of these clubs. So let's get into the bios of the clubs. And again, this is Soviet Russia where everything's owned by the state. So everything is linked to the state. So we'll start with Siska Moscow. Um, they are the team of the army, essentially. Yes, it's the Central Army Sports Club. Uh, of course, as we would kind of, um, and not propaganda, I mean, like this is just kind of the factor at the time, they would have been the Red Army Club. Uh, of course, they would have had the pick of players because players, uh, young men would have had to serve in the army. So it's not a surprise that they were getting players from all around the place coming in to play for them, to do the military service. Uh, the same with ice hockey, CSK, ice hockey club, or CSK ice hockey club, where the world champions. It was like, you know, when they, when they were unbeaten in the, the Olympics for years, world championship, European championships, it was based on Siska. The same with the football club. So the football club, you know, when, when they came into to, to being in, it would have been nine, well, they, they, would have been pre, they, they say pre-revolution, but realistically it would have been, you know, 1911 they were formed. Um, 
but realistically it would have been 1922 uh, that they, you know, kind of were reformed, I should say. So now uh, they've passed through, when they were sold off uh, to a kind of a, um, a rather like an interesting guy, Giner, his name, Evgeny Giner, or Giner. Uh, he um, kind of had made his money selling all different things from used cars to sort of wheeling, dealing, kind of like a, a, a Dell boy, but with more money behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he came in and, you know, took away Cisca ice uh, football from the Cisca sports club. So he basically effectively bought the franchise, bought the name, bought the name and reformed it because they were in some serious, serious trouble. Like, I mean, the team that we think of doing well in, you know, a couple of years ago, beating Real Madrid or when we remember them winning the UEFA Cup and so on. Like, that, that's, um, they, like, they, they, they were bankrupt. They were basically down their luck and they really need someone. So he came in. Uh, they were the first really and honestly business club. They had some state funding, very, very small, but they started to work like a proper club and they had a very good vision. They, they developed players, they developed uh, coaches, they invested in the youth and brought players through. So they would have had, you know, obviously Leonid Slutsky um, came in, uh, had a, a wonderful time with them, uh, brought, had a, already a decent base of young players, but he was also brave enough to give players like chances. Um, and they, they, you know, they, they, they were the year before that. Yeah, now it's two years ago. They were sold to the VEB bank. So basically, Jinner, because they had such huge financial problems, um, because they, they weren't making the money, because they couldn't compete with Zenit, for example, couldn't compete with Spartak in terms of money. Even though they're doing well in the Champions League, they still had to, you know, build a new stadium. They built a new stadium. It's not a great stadium, to be honest with you. It's actually, it's, it's kind of very boxy, but it's in a nice area. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would have one of the smaller fan bases in Moscow. They would have a decent fan base in Russia, uh, but not, but a relatively small fan base, mainly because for a long time they were, you know, they, they, they weren't so successful. They were seen as the army teams so they were kind of outside and it wasn't really cool to follow Siska. And even I have like friends of mine who served the army, they would have arguments. They'll, yeah, I served the army, but I'm for a local team or Spartak. But Siska had that bit of a disconnect, kind of like Dynamo, like we'll speak in a moment. But um, so really now they're owned by this private company. Jinner is still there kind of as a, as a figurehead, but they are, they're doing well this season. They, they fought back. We, they, they were having a very, very bumpy time, uh, but they, they don't have the quality of players coming through. They have a couple of good young lads like Fyodor Chalov, who should be, playing at the top, he should be playing for, for you know, I don't know, Liverpool or whoever it might be, or Bayern Munich. He just has lost form. It just fell, fell to pieces. Uh, they have Akin Bayev, who has his moments of greatness, but I interviewed him but, uh, there during lockdown, it would have been April or May, uh, with a colleague from Capital Sports. And we, like, he has two years left and he's, he's looking now to get out. Football, he's he's looking to, to to go. So basically, Cisco, they're they're on a bit of a down right now. They 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 wanted to sack their coach Goncharenko, who of course became very famous from his exploits with Bati Borisov. Um, he inherited a machine and built on it and made it better. He has some great players in Cisco, like, like Nikola Vlasic, who's an absolute beast of a player. But uh, Cisco, unfortunately, they 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 are one of the top four teams in Moscow. But in terms of support. You know, people are happy to see them do well in Europe, but they are definitely uh, of the top four teams in Moscow. They will be fourth. 
in Moscow. Right, I do want to turn to Moscow again later on the show because it is the base for the biggest clubs in Russia. Spartak Moscow alone you could do about a two-hour show on their history. But we'll take a quick break before we get into all that. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Right, welcome back to Team 33. End a call here with you and I'm joined on the line by Alan Moore, a sports journalist based in Moscow as we chat through the history of Russian football. I do want to get back to Spartak Moscow a little bit later on because they are a really interesting club on their own. But first, I want to turn to Zenit St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg, obviously, previously Petrograd and Leningrad at one point. And Zenit actually have one of the more interesting histories when you look at the Russian clubs out there because they actually don't come from one club, but several. That's true. Um, most of these Russian clubs, like at one time, they... they they be kind of that they have changed. It's kind of, I guess, you say our Glasgow Rangers now are the same Glasgow Rangers of 30 years ago. Well, legally, no, they're a different entity, but mm. they had the same name and so on. So it, they, they have changed. So Zenit would have come from uh, an optics factory, from Zenit op, op, like Optics Factory. They're now completely wholly owned by Gazprom. They're a club that, uh, in many ways, uh, they're a one city club. There is no other club in St. Petersburg. That's it. It's Zenit. You've got SCA, also the army team in um, uh, in for ice hockey in, in St. Petersburg. But there's no other team. There's other teams that popped up and they've fallen apart and you know they you know there's Dino St. Petersburg and so on and so forth. But, they, but there's Zenit, there's Zenit. Now they will try to claim many times that they were founded in 1914 or 19. I think it's 1914. They always like you hear them saying, but it's no. 1925 is the earliest date of this. Is this Zenit? But they have been reformed many times. And back in 91, I went to see them play in the old Krestovsky um, Stadium, huge, huge stadium. I mean, it could could hold a hundred thousand people. I think there's a bit maybe a thousand people there that game. They're playing the Rotter Volgograd in the old first division, uh, so which is a second tier. And um, it was funny that, you know, Nedev, it's, it's, they have a stadium, the old stadium where Dundalk would have played a few years ago uh, was was open, but lovely. The new Gazprom Arena is fabulous. But again, Zenit um, are based on Gazprom, fully funded by Gazprom. Uh, nearly all the sponsors are Gazprom, Gazprom companies are linked and so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, we 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 see that in England, so it's nothing too unusual. Yeah. But um, uh, but but then in one way, they're a great club to deal with. They do business well. Uh, sometimes they overreach, but they they have a vision of what they need to do, what they want to do. They are very very professional and pretty consistent as well. They go out in the limb sometimes to try, like when they had Mancini and he was disastrous here, Andrew villas and they were uh, a, a good friend of mine who was the, um, who actually fell in love with Crow Park, by the way, when he was over covering Zenit. He's the editor-in-chief of Sport Daily up in St. Petersburg, the big, the big newspaper in St. Pete's. Um, and Ivan um, Jitkov is his name. And Ivan said to me that we don't need a Ferrari, he's referred to Mancini, uh, or even a Lamborghini. To, to negotiate the, the Russian landscape. You need a good lad in Eva. And a lad in Eva, you know. So so he, he so then you have Sergei Semak, uh, you know, a guy who came through the Zenit system, played for Zenit, and he's doing a very good job. It did look not too long ago, six months ago, last season, he was gone. He was gone. He was finished, completely gone, because the Zenit fans turned very, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they get a bad rep, but they're actually very, very nice people to deal with. And, and, and I've always found them, like, had the greatest of time for them. So they're a very interesting club, very professionally well-run club. They're run like Gazprom. And Gazprom has had a lot of Western, I hate to say that Western, but like British, Irish, and American, and Japanese professionals coming in to train the staff. I, I mean, I, I taught a court of, course of lectures at Gazprom University. Everything they do is by the book. They're very, very good. And when people come in to learn, they come in to learn. So it's not a surprise that they're, you know, the, they're a state company, but the biggest company in Russia. If Russia can work like Gazprom, be great. But Gazprom works well as it is, and Zenit benefits from that. So they maximize their merchandise. They maximize their, um, you know, everything they do, they do correctly. Um, they still will go bankrupt in the morning. They've gone in the morning if, if Gazprom pulled their money. But right now, they're running themselves very, very well. And full crowds, full houses every single week. Yeah, people will be familiar with Zenit because of the the Dundalk fixture a couple of years ago as well. And Stephen Kenny getting the better of the the mighty Zenit at one point or another for about sixty minutes of the game. Let's go back. <laughs> let's go back to Moscow then and uh, Dynamo Moscow because these are this is just the most typical Russian thing, really, or Soviet thing when you think about it. Let's. What's the story with Dynamo? Who are they? Dynamo. Okay, so. Dynamo come from the police. Now, people will, they come from the, what's called the MVD, the, the Ministry of Internal Affairs. Usually, when you hear the Ministry of Internal Affairs in any country, you start to go, ooh, that's, you know, what's going on? But it's just like the, the, the way it's named. So, that's basically the police force, the, um, the traffic police, the secret police. So, it's all within that kind of group, you know? Um, like any police force, like in, our, in the Irish police force, we have the intelligence unit and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of just a general thing. Uh, they, the um, same as the Red, same, same as um, Cisco as well. They have sports clubs or sports societies around the country. So you've got different Cisco uh, clubs all around where it's like they have like gymnastics, boxing, tennis. A lot of my friends would have played tennis for Cisco Moscow. Uh, they were the best tennis club in Moscow. Uh, Spartak were kind of overtaken for a little while, but Siskar were just the best of the best. Um, so they don't have their, their sports clubs around. So again, very much drawing on the police. Uh, they would still be, still be just ahead of Siskar. People will argue with me about this, but in Moscow, they would be the second wheel. There's four wheels in Moscow. So they'd be the, or sorry, the third wheel in Moscow because they, they have a decent fan base. Um, their ice hockey team are very good as well. Very well run. Uh, they've had disasters in the last little, quite a number of years because they've decided, let's buy in a lot of, one time they bought a lot of Portuguese players. Uh, there's links to a certain agent, which I won't name because they'll get you into trouble. But they, they, they were buying in these Portuguese players to get them in to compete at the top of the table and then sell them on. And this was the whole thing that we've heard from many clubs, buy players in young and sell them on. But it got to the point where they were paying huge amounts of money and just not getting the money back in and not being as successful in Europe as they wanted to be. Massively loyal and faithful um, fan base. They now have uh, the best sports facilities in Russia and one of the best sports facilities in, in Europe that I've, I, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of going to see. They have in the one complex um, their ice hockey arena, which is just absolutely fabulous. 
Um, they have their football stadium above it. So it's basically all built in one complex. They have a shopping center, all in one complex, the training fields, tennis courts, everything is there for, for Dynamo. So basically they, they would have been founded in well, 1923. Um, they were owned, of course, by the police. They were right there wrongly linked with the secret police with Laverty Barrier, with the old NKVD, the old kind of the, for, the, the precursor to the KGB. Mm-hmm. Um, People will always say, well, Putin was FSB, KGB. Why doesn't he support Dinamo? Because he's a St. Petersburg boy. He supports Zenit, his own town team. So just because you are like work with the police doesn't mean you like Dinamo. So it, it, it's kind of, but they have a very good hardcore base and you've got fan clubs, like clubs all around Russia, which feed into it as well. Um They've had a bit of a resurgence. Uh, they've had some ups and downs. Of course, last year they bought in the uh, very, very interesting, very nice guy, Jacques Bubac, who, of course, was Jurgen Klopp's number two. Everywhere he went, he was his number two. Um, until falling out over direction of Liverpool and he refused to go along with Klopp and was kind of undermined and left. He's now sports director with, uh, a director of football sports director uh, with Dinamo. He has overseen a lot of positive changes, like good players coming in, uh, a lot of men- mentality changes in the club that they actually can now compete and compete on the same level as anybody else. So they've had great wins this season so far because they were out of the, the top flight for a year, came back up. Um, financially, were kind of trying to balance themselves up, but now they're, they're doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, they have Sandro Schwartz, the, the German coach, he's in. Doing a decent job, started off well, has had a bit of a wobble since. The, they are also owned by a government bank, the VTB Bank. So, um, again, I think it's three, oh, well, maybe it's over half. No, it's about 60%, 65% owned by VTB Bank. Uh, again, this is state money coming in, supporting them. But they've done it the right way. It's, of course, the VTB Arena. Um for their ice hockey and for their football, and they have built it in the right way. So it is quite sustainable at the moment. But, you know, Dino, as I said, they would be the, the number three club in Moscow in terms of support and in terms kind of, of success as well. They've, they've been on a down, but this season they're doing okay. They're kind of pushing up towards the European qualification places. And they should, should, unless they completely implode, they should get into European football again next year. They had a, a, They kind of... They didn't disgrace themselves. Um, Wonderhead uh, PR guys, um, this is actually his birthday today, Dimitri Darunas, or yesterday, sorry. He um, uh, and I worked together um, at the World Cup and he, uh, he, he, he was speaking to us right before they played a Georgian team in Europe. They lost that Georgian team, which is a shock. A Russian team losing to a Georgian team, but Dinamo didn't care. They were like, yeah, we, we, this year we just want to sort of get back in and we're concentrating on the league. Uh, and they did. And they've been doing, doing so well so far this year. A lot of people don't like them. Uh, Spartak fans particularly don't like them. But I think Dino fans, uh, they're not like Millwall. Uh, they're very opposite Millwall. They just like, we, we don't care. We're going to get on and do the right things. And they produce. They have the best, by a long shot, the best youth academy in Russian football. Um, and a lot of very good players have come through their academy, gone off to other Moscow clubs, gone off to other clubs in Russia. Um, and I think that this is like, this is what they, they they made a big investment in. They've had guys like Alexis Merton come in to head up as sports director to develop the club, brought in 
an English mentality of we need to recruit, 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 build up for, and one, two years is not enough. Mm. We need to look forward 10 years. And uh, of course, he came from Lokomotiv. So he understood the, 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 the benefits of development and he's put it in. So Dinamo, I think in the next three to four years, if they keep their brains ticking over, that they, you know, they'll be up challenging for the title and probably winning the title within the next three to four years. So let's finish off with Spartak Moscow then, because they're seen you as... You said Lokomotiv, though. You missed it Lokomotiv Moscow. We'll, we'll, we'll finish, we'll circle back to them. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> so Spartak Moscow, the people's team, in, yep. in, as, they're, as they're known in, in Moscow, where do they come from? Because I suppose they differ to everyone else when it comes to the setup or how they're perceived anyway. Listen, you nail it, Emma, and this is something that a lot of people don't get, but you, you kind of can see through the, 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 the PR of it. They, you know, they're just, they, they, they've titled themselves a people's club. And it's like, we were the club of the people. But they've always been part-owned by a government company or part-backed by a government ministry. So they would have been, you know, based on um, different things, like, for example, a meat factory that pros- um, uh, processed pork. So they're called Miasa or the pigs. So they, they, they play up to that. And now I will say that I've worked with Spartak when they were uh, developing and getting their new, the new arena, the Okriti Arena. Uh, known as the Spartak Arena, of course, I woke up. Um, I've dealt with the hockey club as well. Have great the hockey club and the football club are two separate entities. There is crossover with the fans, uh, but the hockey club is, you know, it's kind of based on the US model, the Canadian model. They're very, very progressive, very, very good. Um, Spartak, unfortunately, they are the not unfortunately, they are the number one club in Moscow. They're the most supported club in Moscow by far. The most supported club in Russia, not by far, but close um they do think a lot of themselves they've been dreadfully run they're dreadfully managed uh it's great to see them when they do well because they bring fans to the stadium uh it's not nice what those fans do when they get to the stadium but they 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 do bring fans um and they also bring out the locals because right? everyone wants to go and see it's kind of where Dublin come to town everyone wants to come out and see Carlo lose by 20 points. You know, I, I'm, 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 being, I'm being facetious, but people want to see their own home club put it up against Spartak. So when they went to, say, play in uh, Yaroslavl against Shinik in the Cup, they brought, like, so many train loads and so on, but they they went in, lost, and wrecked the stadium. Um, like, Bursi, and, and then when they were going out, they had to be brought back out. And they've always seen themselves as the outsiders, but... It's very hard to be an outsider um, when you're very, very rich and very well connected and went to the right schools and went to the right universities. Like Donald Trump, oh, I'm an outsider. Uh, yeah, okay, fair enough. Like, <laughs> we see how that ends up, you know. But um, no, Spartak, I mean, they're owned by Luke Oil, which is, they, they call it a non-state company, but it is a state-owned company, uh, owned by guys who came from the uh, Secret Services, from uh, Alec Perov, uh, Vagiti, from... Uh, Azerbaijan I'm pointing this way but Azerbaijan Azerbaijan is over my shoulder um, so <laughs> if I'm just going through it yeah exactly just down the road you know? and down the Caspian and so basically uh, the, he's there and then his, his sort of his his other buddy is Leonid Fidun there's a few of them involved but Leonid Fidun is the face of it um, Leonid um, and his brother uh, run Spartak day to day and they're the main stakeholders they put their money into 
Spartak are literally they're they've always been ready to go out of business. The fans are always furious. They had a very very good um, uh, sports director who was in a, a German fellow who was doing quite a good job. A young fellow, he got fired, um, and they brought in a guy from Ufa uh, from Bashkortostan. Terrific sports director, had done great work in Ufa. Very very good guy, and he basically quit. Was paid, I think, it was about four million euros as a payoff. He was only working for six to seven months, and got he basically got paid off. Uh, a lot of the problem is Lena Fadun's other half, who is kind of the power behind the throne, this former beauty queen. I mean, just very Trumpian kind of things going on here. But like, uh, so this young one, she's like, the, so she makes he picks and chooses who should be working, should be working, who's friendly with her, not friendly with her. Journalists will get access or not get access due to that. Um, fans are always up in arms. Fans are never happy. Uh, so it's kind of this very unhappy club which is an awful shame because they do bring an awful lot to football. Um, they, they, as I said, their stadium is, is almost out of date. It's, it's, it's been wrecked a few times by the fans, but the, the, the pitch is, is like a potato patch. And I think it's down to the bad maintenance of the club, but it's, they have this aura around them. So it's Spartak. But uh, it, it's very hard to put past them because they've always seen, pretended to be the outsiders, but they've always sort of suckled at the government teeth for funding. Mm-hmm. Their fans have always misbehaved and been up against the police. Be, and so the police, of course, and the army would have been Siskel Dinamo. So they react to that. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of brilliant people working in the club, a lot of brilliant people involved with in the club. Um, you know, I've got great respect for a lot of the fans who are involved in it, but they still have this kind of um, us against them. So they're kind of the mill wall uh, of Russian football, um, doing mill wall things as well in terms of like the chance, the abuse, the stupid posts, the silly things. We remember not too long ago where they put out the post of, which was funny for local people and for the players where uh, a jo- the, well, Russian Georgian um International was making a video for Instagram. He had control of Instagram and had the Brazilian one, I think the, the Brazilian players lying down. And he said, Oh, look, the chocolates are melting in the sun. Info with chocolate emojis. You know, this isn't okay. What goes on in the locker room? Okay, they might act Egypts and the act Egypts, but they're all friendly. As he was trying to explain that, look, I get made fun of for being Georgian. It's part like we, but still, Spartak have had so many gaffes like that. It's, it goes on and goes on and goes on and they get away with it because uh, one thing that if you go to Oriole Park, there's local journalists and there's national journalists. In Russia, you don't have journalists, you have fans. Now, there's some very, very good ones who like hold themselves in, but I had the greatest shock when I was working first time with Lokomotiv and went to a Spartak match. They're playing Spartak at home and I, w- I walked into the press box. Spartak scored a goal. And a bunch of, I, I thought, how did fans get in here? They're all wearing Spartak jerseys and Spartak scarves. And they jumped up and started to on like into the faces of the other journalists. Loco equalized. The journalist jumped up and went back. I was like, what? So this is how it goes on. And Spartak have more friends in the media and more media supporters. So they kind of get away with an awful lot more. But it just shows show that if you say something often enough, like we're outsiders, we're the people's club, people's club. It actually starts to come through. So, mm. you know, again, Trump 2016, 2020, 
Spartak 1922 to 2021. So it it, it does work. Yeah, it's it's funny how clubs can garner this sort of opinion of themselves and it becomes a reality and almost like the hipsters who became hipsters to become different and then ended up being the exact same as every other hipster. That's sort of that's sort of where Spartak are at at the minute. And this is, and I just I just add on to that. Like most foreigners who come here, you ask them what's your club in, in Russia. They all they all support Spartak because it's they you know it's it's cooler to be part of, of Spartak. Of course, when Siskar winning things, oh, I go to watch Siskar because they're they're playing in Europe and I get tickets for playing into Milan or Arsenal, where it is. But a lot of people will go straight to Spartak because oh yeah, they're cool and they're like outsiders and they've always fought against the system. And I go, no, they played the system very, very well. And in the Soviet Union, like as as uh, you know, the, the first head of the Russian football union found out, if you didn't play ball, you lost your ball. Mm-hmm. Or well, you lost your ball. So let's just leave it at that. Um, with that. And and of course, one funny thing, well, uh, which would be interesting, when I worked with Spartak was when we were working to sell the naming rights for the stadium. And they had a huge valuation on it because, of course, to go into financial fair play, they needed to get the balance right. So, you know, of course, BTB who own Dynamo are, like, pay huge naming rights for, for that and so on. And Gazprom for St. Pete's and so on, for Zinni. Uh, so Spartak were, were clever. And we this is no joke. We were discussing it in the, in the commercial office one, one day and the former... Um, head of the club, who's now head of Fakir El Voronish, uh, Askabadze, who was started as a translator, ended up as the chair, like the CEO of the club, before getting found out and fired. We were sitting in the um, the commercial department one day, and we're talking about how to raise funds and so on, as for, uh, for naming rights. And like, oh, Luke Oil, Luke Oil will, will buy their naming rights. And I said, no, no, no. I said, no, look, the easy thing to do is to just to move it and get someone else to to sponsor it, but it's not related to Luke Oil. So what happened next was, uh, and it was just so open, and we, I discussed this many times, so it, but it's the first time on Irish, well, in Irish media we discussed it, is that uh, they made a, a gigantic deposit, Luke Oil, into a, a credit bank, and basically sold part of the Luke Oil Bank, MDM, into a credit, so to kind of buy out a credit bank, but be minor shareholders, made a major deposit, Accredit then sponsored the naming or bought the naming rights with Luke Oil money, and now it's the Accredit Arena. Uh, next year it runs out, and the debate is that uh, Spartak, because of the, they they or Luke Oil owns so many shares in Accredit uh, that they either had to buy it out or sell it. So it's kind of um, yeah. So next year they could be going bust, and everyone's starting to uh, like shout about it right now. So we'll see what happens. In two minutes, can you sum up the history and who Lokomotiv are? Because I know you're desperate to. <laughs> well, no, Lokomotiv, again, I've got great time for them. And they're a kind of a, if Spartak are, are, are every year are a clown car waiting to explode, um, Loco have, have, have a kind of a habit of just like, just I don't know, just shooting themselves in the foot. So basically, Lokomotiv are the railways team. Uh, every sponsor involved with them, uh, except the betting company, uh, are from the Russian Railways. Russian Railways is the biggest employer um, in Russia, sort of huge. Um, have always been underdogs, have always been kind of left on the outside, but they got their development plans right. Of course, there's little locomotive clubs or locomotive clubs around um, uh, Russia, all related to the railways. 
they're kind of everyone's second team. So when they won the title uh, there a couple of years ago or three years ago now, people were happy because everyone has someone in the family who's worked with the railways. Not like not everyone has happy memories of serving in the Russian army. A lot of people have terrible memories, PTSD memories, but uh, everyone has something nice with, with Erzide, the Russian state railways. So, Again, of course, they uh, named their home arena from the Lokomotiv Arena to, or Lokomotiv Stadium to the Erzede, or Russian Railways Arena. The reserve stadium, which is amazing, where the uh, Moscow Shamos, the GAA team in Moscow, uh, train. They tra- we train at the, the Sapsan Arena. Sapsan is the express train that goes to St. Petersburg. So, again, getting financial fair play. Um, very, very good club. Very, very good team. Very, very open. Again, they were formed the same year as... Um, as Spartak in 1922. Beautiful area at the east, of Mos- east of Moscow. The most inclusive club, the most open club. Uh, they've always fought against racism. It's because it's been all around and, and railways people have come to live. And it's based in an area where, in eastern Moscow, which is always seen as kind of like the north side of Dublin, more industrial, a bit more run down and so on. Mm-hmm. I'm from the north side, so I can say it. Um, and you're, you're in the south side, so you're led away with it. <laughs> yeah, I lived in Glasnevin for five years it's okay uh, you've done your time you're alright then Andy you've done your time you're, you, you, and that is the snobby park by the way that's like um, Ballymun South you know but uh, but uh, basically uh, Lokomotiv have, have a very very broad spread so you've got people from who are like native Azerbaijanis first generation Russians They've their families moved in uh, coloured people, a lot of lads that I would work with or s- students that were part of the international student bodies that I was dealt with, they would happily, happily go to, to Lokomotiv and not be worried about getting racially abused. So it's a very, very open club, very, very progressive club. Uh, they had a brilliant, they had a first uh, non-Russian sports director, uh, Eric Stoffelshaus, who came from Schalke. To, to head up the sports direct, uh, be sports director, got in Eder, of course, who he worked with, who, of course, we know he scored the winning goal in the, in the last Euros for Portugal. Uh, they brought in Hevedes, they had Mars, like terrific bunch of players because they basically cleaned it all up. Ilya Gurkos came down, he was the commercial director, one of the head guys in Zenit, a St. Petersburg guy, but he came down. Uh, basically said, we're going to go fan friendly. The final game of one, the previous season, which I've been at, 5,000 people were there. By the end of his first season, they were averaging 21, 22,000 people. Um, That's even with the cold weather. So basically, now they've shot themselves in the foot because they got rid of Ilya and Eric. They brought in then guys who were so-so. They fired Yuri Seoman, who had led them to all their league titles and cup wins. Um, Brought in a, a, a guy called Marko Nikolic from Serbia. He's been doing a decent job. Of course, they sold off one of their best players, Alexei Moranchuk, to Atalanta. Um, and at the moment, they're up very, very much up and down. Um, Zenit will win the league this season. Lokomotiv won't, but they need to get back into European football. They played Atletico and Bayern this year and Red Bull uh, Salzburg in the, the Champions League. Um, very good club. They're number two in Moscow, uh, purely down to the recent exploits and the fact that for two years, they worked, or three years, they worked solely on fan comfort, fan um, outreach and reach, like getting communities and bringing them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done a very, very good job. Hopefully it'll continue because they're kind of the one shiny light for football in Moscow at the moment. So what you're telling me is that Lokomotiv are bows, essentially. Or... 
Our bows. Well, do you know what? I would almost say Shamrock Rovers, but I wouldn't say that. Uh, they, no, no, no. I, I, no I, I, again, I have great, I have great time for Shamrock Rovers. I and uh, I, I went to school in Glasnev, and so I, uh, I had great time for Glasnev for for bows as well. They are. They're kind of. They, they, they would be, and they should be the hipsters' club mm. because they're the one who do um, like. They're the first when it comes to anti-racism. They're first to really to delve into their the, the uh, youth academy and bring people up. They they set up on their own bat uh, a women's football team, supported it, um, and they won the Russian Cup this year. And Siska won the league, but Siska are a franchise. They're they're very much a franchise club, but they um, they they really have gone into. They've looked after Special Olympics. They've looked after blind football, uh, deaf football. So basically what... They're kind of like the sporting... They're what Sporting Fingal could have been, shall we say. <laughs> uh, and with Sporting Fingal had all these things on the side and community outreach under Liam Buckley. And we're doing a great job with Conan Burr and so on. And Glenn Crow. But okay, things didn't happen for them and uh, things fell apart in 2010. But... Um, Look what you do that. And they're, they're a very, very good club in that sense. They've now messed up a wee bit. They got rid of the guy, Kignazi, Vasily Kignazi, who was a media guy, who kind of was, he didn't throw out the baby with the bathwater, bath which happens too often here, where new kind of administration comes in and kicks everything out that was there before it. Uh, he kind of kept on a lot of good ideas, kept on many of the good people, the good, especially PR people, and worked very, very well. Unfortunately, they've brought in a guy to head up the club who is an ex-footballer, but was involved in a, let's just say, a, a very kind of dodgy players' union, uh, which was actually a players' agency uh, that got accredited to FIFPRO, uh, the, the world football governing body, and then have since been kicked out because what they did was uh, if you didn't join the union, um, you were frozen out from all the clubs. And basically, they they handled... It was a kind of a real... It was a very dodgy mafia thing. So they brought him in to head up the club. And a lot of locomotive fans are going, oh, God, no, what's going to happen next? But, you know, we wait to see. But again, it's it's not going to turn into a soap opera. Spartak had a soap opera of Russia. Spartak had a Shamrock Rovers. Because Shamrock Rovers will say, oh, we're the people's club. Bowes will say, we're hipsters, we're cool. Like, you know, we, we have like Bob Marley on our jerseys and all yeah. sort of stuff. Spartak are like, you know, we are like, we, you know, kind of like, no, we are Rovers. But again, I like Rovers too much to, to slag them off like that. But um, <laughs> I, I can't play Spartak. I could say Lokomotiv will be yeah, kind of the Bowes. Um, Zenit will be Dundalk. Um, I don't know who will be Finn Harps, but probably Himki, which is one of the Moscow Oblast clubs. And Dinamo, Dinamo will be hated by everybody, so they're probably Cork City. Yeah, <laughs> Cork was the first name on my mind there. Uh, I, fascinating as always. It's it's always great catching up with you as well, Alan. Um, hopefully, if if there's anything, any big stories turn up in in Russia over the next few weeks or the next few months, I'll you'll be the first man I'll I'll go to. Alan Murray, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you, Wendell. And by the way, that's a, a Volga Ulyanos jersey, so it's Ulyanos all the way for GAA. And for, for Ireland, Ireland and Russia. Good stuff. All right, Alan, chat to you later. Thanks, Alan. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Right, that's all we have time for on this evening's Team 33. As ever, if you want to listen back to any of that, you can get it in the OTB Sports app or on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe on the OTB Sports app if you want to get notified every time a show goes live. The full chat is also available on YouTube as well, youtube.com 
forward slash off the ball if you prefer to watch it. We're turning to Spain next week. We've got a really interesting piece coming your way. Stay tuned for that and more next week. Splunk is up next though. Ewa. (laughs) 